I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Welcome in. Another episode of the Touch Em All podcast. Uh, I guess this is the halfway point of the season episode, and I might even throw out some random halfway through the season, cliche, cheesy, tons ah. awards in the next, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. Okay. so I might so, just make some up on the fly, and then we can give out mid-season awards. Let me cool wrap my head around this. I was talking a couple of months ago about who was the Twins' April MVP, and that didn't matter. But now that 82 games have been played, which is a little bit more than the mathematical halfway point. Well, I'm not going to ask you about their midway. Time. I'm not going to ask you about the midway MVP. Okay, that would be bad. In. Just check in. I'm going to uh, tell you they're Cy Young. And for the record, if I do ask you about the midway point yeah. MVP, it's more relevant than the April. MVP, it matters. Okay? All right, everything matters. But but first, I want to I want to start with this because uh, Irvin Santana's last start, and we're recording this the day after he went his fourth complete game of the year, and in a losing effort, yeah, through nine 117 pitches, gave up a couple runs, and the Twins couldn't give him any run support. I'm even more convinced after that start, believe it or not, that Irvin Santana gets traded sometime this month. Okay, because I think this Twins front office looks at what we see on the field and what we see in the standings differently than the previous Terry Ryan front offices and than most fans and for sure compared to most players in the clubhouse. Uh, I'll expand on this, but if if you walk in and and you've covered enough spring training now, how many many years in a row have you been to Fort Myers? Like four? Four? I think so. And when you roam around a baseball clubhouse in spring training and talk to anybody about the prospects for the season. What do you think? Oh, you, you get to reset things here in the spring. What, what do you think about this season? How, talk about how important it is to flush last year. Right, exactly. Oh, man, we're flushing last year. How are you year. different than last year? How are, and the answer is usually I'm not or I'm worse. But um, but I covered, oh, wow. I covered the 2011 Twins, the 12 Twins, the 13 Twins. Yeah. Spring training every year since 2011. And almost every year, and mind you, these are a lot of 96, 99 lost teams. In spring training, every player will tell you, I feel like positive thing, positive thing, positive thing. This feels this, different. This is going to be a turnaround thing. In, in the Basically, if, if you play a professional team sport and you're not on the Cleveland Browns or the Detroit Lions up until a couple of years ago, you feel like you have a chance to be a lot better or contend going into your season. So if you were to ask Twins players in the clubhouse, what do you think about the second half of the year? You guys are hanging in there two games above 500. Would you trade Irvin Santana? They would say, or wait, wait a second, what? You're fired. Yeah. Uh, you should you should never step foot in this clubhouse again. But this front office talks a lot about process. They're not fooled by short-term results. They talk about two years down the road, five years down the road. I think the Terry Ryan-led front offices would look at Irvin Santana and say, let's ride the wave of a career season and maybe even think about a long-term contract extension two years before it's needed. Like, I... They were more – they oftentimes would, would miss time when they were supposed to trade somebody. This front office, I think, looks at Irvin Santana and says, career best ERA of 2.99, expected ERA closer to 5. So there's a two-run gap, two-and-a-half-run gap, maybe a three-run gap between what his ERA is and what it should be, two-run two gap. I think this team looks at this front office looks at the minus 55 run differential and doesn't say 
well, that's not indicative of how good we've been. We're going to make a run at this thing in the second half. I think they look at the process by which the Twins have gotten to this point, and they say, whew, more often than not, you're going to be about seven or eight games below 500 if you get outscored by that many runs in, your, in the first half of the season. I'm going to I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that they recognize just how peak value Irvin Santana is, and and he might even start the All-Star game, which would skyrocket yeah. his value even more. Right, it's possible. And they will pull the trigger on a trade before the end of the month. That's really interesting. I, I fully believe that the conversation is going on. This is just speculation. The conversation is going on within the Twins' front office. And they're trying to answer not should we trade Irvin Santana. They, there's a there's a basic question, more basic than that, that they'd have to answer. I mean, we sort of just glossed over it. But the question is, how good are we? And secondly, from the position we're in right now, like how likely is it that we make some noise in October? I think those are the two questions you have to ask first. Now, if you think, look, I would never tell our players, our employees this, but I think it's kind of smoke and mirrors. I think that's what they think. But the second question is then relevant too. Okay, it's smoke and mirrors. How likely is it to continue? How likely is it that if we added a closer or an eighth inning guy, because I kind of like Brandon Kinsler, how likely is it that if we added another starter or if Kyle Gibson's actually a 3-9 ERA guy instead of a 5-9 ERA guy, how likely is it that we're still in this spot in October? And I think those are the two questions you have to answer, and I don't think that there is an answer yet. I don't think that there's a consensus within the Twins front office, that's my hunch, that says, well... This was fun pretending to contend, but we're not real contenders. Right. Well, I think there are people who disagree. They don't have to come to a consensus until – I mean the, the deadline right. is is three and a half weeks from now. So and if we've learned one thing about now. Derek Falvey's MO since he took over, granted, not that long of a runway we're talking about here, but since he took over in November, his whole thing has been don't make a decision until you have to. He had 12 guys ostensibly in the starting rotation conversation a couple weeks into spring training. When they really needed to start whittling down innings and figure out, like, okay, we got to, mm-hmm. who's who's coming north? We got to get them ready. Falvey was like, everyone's pressing forward. The media wants to know. Well, we know who's starting opening day, but who's starting after that, and then after that. And I'm sure Molitor and Neil Allen and Eddie Guardado want to know what their pitching staff's going to look like. We're all leaning on the front end of that conversation. Push it ahead. Push it ahead. And Derek Falvey, you could you could almost tell, you could almost feel this sense of him just leaning back on the conversation and saying, I don't, I don't need to know who's going to start the fourth game of the season. It's it's March 15th. What Chill on it, guys. And I think he's going to do that same thing here with the trade deadline. So I, I would, And I would ask him this, if he's on the fence, and I don't think he's on the fence. I think he knows what he thinks, but he has another month for the team to, to show differently. I mean, the, the team could go from minus 55 run differential to minus 20 and then just look and feel like a new team if Buzanitz is a good reliever and if... Eddie Rosario's swing and miss rates have improved yeah. a lot in the last couple months. And by the way, if that's the case, that's a different topic. But if Eddie Rosario is now a more disciplined hitter with all the same skills and physical abilities, I have a different opinion about Eddie Rosario because now he gets on base more. Hard to same. It just looked like he was so stubborn. For, even in the minor leagues, the guy didn't get on base at, at the high levels. But what's more likely as you survey the landscape here for the Twins? Is it more likely that the minus 55 differential team that we've seen so far 
it's just a fluke, and they're really one of the better teams in baseball. And like right. they, they yeah. really, and it's just been a few fluke games where they've gotten blown out, even though it's been more than just a few. Some blowouts have changed the math, yeah. but the, the other teams that are anywhere near that ballpark of run differential, uh, the the Blue Jays are a minus forty four. They're six games below five hundred. The Orioles are a minus eighty three. They're a handful of games below five hundred. The Tigers are minus twenty. They're eight games below five hundred. And let's see here. The the A's are eighty three uh minus eighty three run differential, and they are eleven games below five hundred. Yeah. I'm gonna keep doing this just because I think it, it's important. The Braves are a minus fifty four, they're a handful of games below five hundred. Phillies, minus ninety three, like thirty games below five hundred. Well, yeah. <laughs> Reds and Pirates, both minus forty, minus forty five, and both seven and eight games below five hundred. Yeah. So are the twins just this magical unicorn outlier compared to all the other teams? And we could go back year after year and do the same exercise. Luckily for them, they don't have to decide for another three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. What's more likely, that they will fall in line with their run differential or that their run differential will fall in line with them? I tend to think that run differential is more indicative. It's not the be-all, end-all, certainly, but the more games you play, the more indicative it is of your true talent level yeah. as a team. Well, yeah. I think that – I'm going to cheat here a little bit. I think that both. I think the run differential will po- probably improve a little bit, but I don't expect them to be five – six, seven games over 500 at the time of the non-waiver trade deadline. But I like the phrase that you just used there, and I think it doesn't get focused on enough because it, it's important. And it get, it cuts at the core of the first question that I was asking you. What's the team's true talent? How good are they supposed to be? Because that's where you make your judgment from. But the second question still holds true with where you are right now. If your true talent is maybe worse than the record shows, is that still enough to justify adding a piece? And to add a piece, you have to subtract a piece. You're going to be selling off some part of your future. Even if it's a lottery ticket part of the future, you'd like to have lots of lottery tickets. That's just the nature of prospects in baseball. Um, I, I do wonder if a couple of additions from within the organization could help them out and could help actually improve the true talent. Um, and that's in the bullpen and even in the outfield. It's been it's been a little interesting to me that as soon as I gave up on Eddie Rosario, I was done with Eddie Rosario. Oh, I, I don't was think too. I didn't make like a public declaration. In fact, I was about to start working on a column that said I'm just kind of over Eddie Rosario. Do you know what day that was? I bet you can guess. The day he hit three bombs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So well, I started pulling together notes and then he goes deep three like, times. I don't think like DFA was in the cards. I, but you no, I mean, you plug in were... Zach Rannett. I'm ready to see sure. Zach Rannett in an everyday role in the big leagues. That's the point that I was at. Mm-hmm. I still think he could potentially help this team. I think, you know, his skill set, it's somewhat limited, but a guy who runs really fast, is hitting for a high average and getting on base in the minor leagues, seems to have good plate discipline based on his walk and strikeout totals in the minor leagues, and by all accounts, plays a decent center field. Got to expect he could play a good corner outfield. I thought that could be a good piece for the Twins. Maybe that's like a a two-win player or something like that. And over if you can be a two-win player over three months, two and a half months, wow, you've got something there. That's a big addition. Um, now I'm not so sure where that stands. I'm not sure when the next time we're going to see, you know, a roster opening from a position player side of things. So I, I don't know when we see Zach Granite, but... I mean, Buxton could get hot, too. Buxton sure. looks like he started he's, to figure it out a yeah. little bit again. We keep he's, saying that, but he's yeah. He's steaming a little bit. It's like he's hit that second shot in beer pong. He's not quite on fire, but he's definitely heating up. 
They I, have. Love how you, I love how you have that attributed to beer pong, and most listeners have it attributed to NBA Jam That's from right. the early to mid-90s. Yeah. <laughs> you were like five when that game was popular. So. Uh, you might be being kind. Um, but, you know, they've also got some bullpen arms. You mentioned Alan Buznitz. I like the guy. He throws hard. And he's got a breaking ball. His curveball, when he can throw it for strike, look, we're talking about an extremely small sample size. So take this with a shaker of salt. But if they have a back end that they trust in Brandon Kinsler and Taylor Rogers, Rogers quietly having a great season for them. And then Duffy's ERA is kind of climbing a little bit, so maybe he's like their seventh inning guy. But if you add other guys that you trust at the back end of the bullpen, whether it's Alan Buznitz, whether John Curtis finally gets a look at some point, I think he will at some point the rest of this year, the uh, closer for Chattanooga. Uh, suddenly it's not a terrible bullpen. It's not a train wreck of a bullpen. Now, maybe I'm being um, glass half full a little bit here, but I think that the the front office is split on those very points. The what's our true talent, and given that true talent, oh, I mean, what's the right course of action? Couldn't you argue if your true talent's not good enough but you're kind of right there, that if you can improve your true talent pretty quickly, pretty easily, that you owe it to them to do it? I don't know if that's the way that they're going to go, but I think that, I think you could logically see making that argument. So, okay, since we're digging for true talent level on this on this uh, podcast, because I just before you ask this question, I I almost feel like when we talk, like I feel like the true talent of this Twins team is higher than you think that it is. I think we we're maybe not that far apart, but it's it's I sense that or when I join you guys on the radio, I know I think that it's higher than Judd thinks it is. Judd thinks that they should trade everybody. Because the season shouldn't have even been played. But Judd, but Judd has Judd thinks that about the Patriots. That's like right. Judd, That's exactly right. <laughs> so okay, so I'll 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 answer that question in just a minute here. But Perfect. First, a word for my friends at Luther Brookdale Toyota, which is the car dealership and service department I've been taking Camrys and Corollas and Rav4s to for half my life since I was 16 years old. My family and I have been going to the same dealership since the 1980s. My mom drove one of those baby blue. Of Toyota Celicas, like a 1986 Celica, where the the headlights look like eyelids coming open. These are some of the smartest, best, nicest people in the industry. They will treat you like family. And let's face it, you know, a lot of the car industry and and service industry can be sort of. There's a lot of similarities across the board, but the way that you're treated and the experience you have is what separates Luther Brookdale Toyota. From everybody else. That's why we keep going back as a family. 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard in the Twin Cities and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Okay, on the subject of true talent level here, um, two things. Number one, I think you're right. I am a little bit more. It's 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 not necessarily that I think this team is less talented than you think it is. I think this team is vastly outperforming their process to this point. Sure. I think. I think this team is credit to Paul Molitor and company and whoever else the, the new scouting reports and everyone for and Brandon Kinsler for being one of the better surprising relievers in baseball. They are squeezing every last ounce of toothpaste out of the tube. It's incredible to this point. We'll see what happens in the second half of the season. Long term, I think there's a lot of ceiling here for how good they could be. There's a lot of ceiling left for Barrios, for Buxton. Miguel Sano is just getting to the point where he's becoming one of the more productive hitters in baseball. So long-term, I think you and I are on the same page in terms of what this team's true talent level is with a lot of their position players. Short-term, I think they're vastly outperforming their process. And here's another, this is part two to my answer. 
back to Irvin Santana. So his when I bring up expected ERA, I'm talking about fielding independent pitching, XFIP. Sometimes I like to just translate into layman's terms because I know that people are busy and they don't all know what FIP and XFIP are. But basically, FIP and XFIP, fielding independent pitching, the attempt is to measure your process as a pitcher, the things you can control, and then tabulate what your ERA should be. Based on league average guesses of what should happen when somebody hits a line drive or when somebody hits a home run. Correct. Or when you walk a guy. Yep, strikeouts. So it, it kind of it neutralizes if you have a, a really good set of defenders, for instance, your ERA will likely be lower than your fielding independent pitching, than your expected ERA. Like the Twins, for instance, because they've had such bad fielding the last couple of years, their team expected ERA might be... Uh, 4.40, but their actual ERA is closer to 5 because their defense is so bad, mm-hmm. they're turning an already bad pitching staff into an atrocious pitching staff. So so in general, your ERA will gravitate toward your expected ERA, your FIP or your XFIP long term. Now, sometimes you might see a full season in which a guy outperforms his expected ERA by a run or something over the course of a career. There's only a few pitchers that get beyond about a half-run difference between their expected ERA and ERA. Carlos Zambrano was one of those guys. Hector Santiago is actually one of those mm-hmm. guys. Uh, Ricky Nolasco has been one of those guys on the wrong side, yeah. where his expected ERA should be in the threes, but like it's really nice like four pitcher. and a half. Yeah. Right. So with all that said, mm-hmm. Irvin Santana, for his career, which goes back to 2005, his expected ERA, his FIP and his XFIP, is almost identical to his actual ERA. His his xFIP is 4.21, his career ERA is 4.04. So that tells you that his his process is by as measured by xFIP and FIP, pretty much tells you where his ERA should be. Mm-hmm. If there's a gap between the two that's too wide, it probably means the ERA is likely to come toward the FIP or the xFIP. This season, I got the numbers in front of me. His xFIP is 4.79, and his ERA is under three. Yeah. So now could he improve his peripherals and just become a better strikeout pitcher this year, give up fewer home runs, whatever it is. I'm not saying he's a trash pitcher by any means. He's just getting blatantly lucky. He's a skilled, good pitcher. But if he's going to be a four and a half ERA guy or or more, as XFIP would project the rest hmm. of the season, you no longer have an ace, quote unquote, pitcher right. you have at the guy. top. You just have a guy. Right. So if. If we're going to play the game of, well, if a reliever comes in here and another reliever comes in here, and if Rosario, right, but if Irvin Santana yeah. turns into a pumpkin in the second half and you didn't trade him while his value was high, yeah. you're not a contender anymore. So I have a question on this. is what Buzz Killington. But. What's his FIP? If his ex-FIP is like almost 5, basically. 4.68. So it's still high. That's a little surprising to me because I think, and, and I'll just float this as a possibility. I haven't dug in on this yet. This might be a fun column someday. Uh Mike Petriello, who's a columnist at MLB.com and it, kind of the baseball savant crew, with, they're doing a lot of stuff with StatCast, and, and he's the one that publishes the outward-facing, hey, here's this, we got the sprint leaderboards now on StatCast. Check them out if you want to. Yep, Byron Buxton and Billy Hamilton are pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Here are the rest of the guys. So Petriello is that guy. And he had an interesting column earlier in the year. It was like six weeks into the season, maybe, about how Irvin Santana is getting such weak contact. And I'll, I'll posit my theory here in a second, and, and I'm just speculating out loud, but 
I wonder why his xFIP is so bad like is is it because he should be giving up more home runs than he is and they think that'll normalize well I think so I, I believe xFIP takes into account ground ball percentage and his ground ball percentage is pretty similar to what his career norm is okay now his batting average on balls in play against is 217 his wow. career rate is 282 that's surprising so even if he's inducing weak contact, yeah. that's like historical weak contra- contact that we're talking about here. Yeah, which probably you think will normalize. It, it won't necessarily stay that low forever because you just you probably can't control that. Actually, I have the I have the soft contact rate here too. So he's been very good. I don't have it compared to the rest of the league, but he he has allowed more soft contact or has induced more soft contact this year than in any other year of his career. But it's not like astronomically different okay his we're getting way in the weeds no, here, no, this, this is, is perfect. awesome this is what i want so his soft contact rate and this is sort of nebulous because i believe it's measured by a guy in the Who just says i don't think it's soft, measured yeah. by Statcast mm-hmm. yet but we're getting to that point uh his career rate is 16 percent this year it's 21 percent okay so it's definitely he's definitely getting more soft contact yeah so, i'm just not ready to buy in that he's the ace of the yeah, american league yeah 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 okay Look, he's told you who he is for 10 years he's right. a pretty good middle of the rotation guy who's pitching like an ace yeah you you have to decide which one you believe in. So I think we basically agree on that. But so here's here's the the theory that I'll pose to you is what if he's outperforming those numbers in part because the Twins defense has been spectacular, which I think That's that it true. has. That, yes, for sure. So that, that, that Babbitt will go down. Yep. Uh, yep. But you know. We'll, it, it won't go to a league average rate because the Twins have a better than league average defense, so that's going to help convert more batted balls into outs. Mm-hmm. That's one like you don't need stats for that. That's a that's a baseball. If 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 you Byron watch Buxton a lot of games, catches a lot of fly balls and he turns doubles into outs. Benefit from that. Yes. <laughs> he turns doubles into outs. <laughs> and if you're a pitcher, you'd rather have two outs and nobody on than one out and a guy standing on second base. You yes. don't you don't need stats for that. That's a baseball uh just kind of an understanding. It's an intuitive thing. Second intuitive thing, what if Derek Falvey coming in and Thad Levine taking over and Jeff Pickler joining the coaching staff and uh, is it is it Hefner that's uh, Jeremy Hefner that's doing their advanced video scouting reports and stuff and Jason Castro joining the fold? What if that group has all helped elevate someone like Irvin Santana and said, hey, you've struggled in the first half of seasons before and then you really turn it on in the second half? Do you ever wonder why? Here's why. Here's something that you're doing. In the second half, you go away from your predictability or or whatever it is. I'm just making this stuff up, but it would be interesting to me to see if Irvin Santana's changed something subtly about his game, like he's using fastballs up more. You see him get a lot sure. of strikes for strike three with fastballs elevated that I don't remember seeing a lot. Now, this is all anecdotal, so don't trust this yet until we have the numbers behind it, but what if Falvey came in and just gave him a better plan and said, hey, you know what three pitches you should use? You should pound guys inside with a fastball. You should throw a slider under their bat, and then you should raise their eye level by giving them that fastball that they're not expecting at the letters. It, and if you can dumb it down to those simple terms or whatever, maybe that's oversimplified for what's happened. But I wonder if he's outperforming his peripherals and his career pace for three reasons. One, some luck. Two, the Twins' defense has been exceptional. And three, maybe he just has a different pitching plan this year now that he has a pitching guru running his organization. Sure, and all the you might be right, and and, and we're never going to be able to fully. I think we've hit almost every possible angle of Irvin yes. Santana, <laughs> and it's awesome. I love sure. talking through this stuff. But at the end of the day, sometime in the next few weeks, there will be teams like the Astros, the Yankees, the Cubs, mm-hmm. who are sort of reeling and could use some pitching. Teams with deep farm systems 
ready to win a World Series mm -hmm. that really need that third solidified piece to the rotation. Masahiro yep. Tanaka has been a wreck for the Yankees this mm -hmm. year. His ERA is almost six. The Astros have two really trustworthy, viable starting pitchers. One of them's on the disabled list still, Dallas Keuchel, with a neck issue. The Cubs, you're seeing some wear and tear. Kyle Kendricks has not been nearly as good in the rotation. They could use a starting pitcher. Mm -hmm. All three of those teams, if faced with chances to win the World Series, would probably overpay for a guy like Irvin Santana, knowing that he's been around for 12 years, mm -hmm. he's pitched in the postseason, he's able to grind through tough innings, he's able to throw... The guy can throw seven, eight, nine innings and, and, and give your bullpen a rest. If faced with that decision today, hey, Houston called, they want to overpay and give up three very solid young players for Irvin Santana. I'll take it. I will take it today. Yeah. I'll even take even it. at two games above 500 in wild card position. Even as the guy who's been arguing for buying for six weeks. Well, if, you could, but you could still okay. Then you could still go get a bullpen piece. No, it's it doesn't over. mean that it's you're, over. If you <laughs> trade Irvin is. Santana, it's over. But it might. My point is, it might be over if you're hoping if 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 Irvin pitching like this is required for you to make right. the postseason. It might be over before it's over. You know who I wonder. Who might agree with you based on some public comments made in the last couple of weeks? Twins GM Thad Levine. Oh, I thought Did you were going to say Patrick Royce. Oh, Patrick Royce. <laughs> well, no, Pat. Pat's, he agrees too, I'm sure. Yeah, Pat's been hot and cold on this team. He just compared it to the 2015 Twins. He says they're better than the 2015 Twins. But for most of this season, he's been talking about, why are you so optimistic? This team's no good. And it's like, well. Well, I don't know. Look at the rest of the American League. Like and everybody's because, a playoff team, right? And like, let <laughs> like, us let us enjoy this after right? a 103 loss team. I, I don't know because baseball's fun, and sometimes yeah. unexpected success is the second best sports high when you're a fan. Sure, championship success is the number one high, but unexpected success is the second best high as a sports. That's fan. pretty interesting. Um, okay, so J.M. Thad Levine. I don't know if you saw his comments to uh, Mark Feinsand of MLB.com. I did. Yeah, we yes. Pretty interesting stuff. Um, I wrote a column about it on the website. It's easy to sum up. He basically said, "Yeah, you know, it's been a fun season, but this isn't legit, and we're going to trade." Isn't that guys. weird? <laughs> like, it's not surprising that he thinks that way. It wouldn't be. And for the record, he might not even be speaking his own personal beliefs. He might just be summarizing the conversations that are going in. Uh, you know, on behind closed doors. Here's what kind of the general vibe of the room is, and I'm the best communicator. Here's our presentation. Because Thad Levine's like the company guy who gives the presentations. He'd give killer PowerPoints if he was in another industry. He'd have like little funny graphics and memes and Probably stuff. Probably not even using out. PowerPoints anymore. He's moved on. But he is he is communicating. I think sort of the uh, to, to use a word that I'm not fully comfortable with. I think he's communicating the zeitgeist of the Twins front office right now when he basically says yeah we're in first place and we're not ignoring that that's important and the longer we go the more important it becomes but also this isn't who we thought we were going to be this season and we can't just pretend that this has been definitely a big jump forward it might just be a flash in the pan and let's let's keep our gunpowder dry is, is kind of like the essence of of what he told fine sand i'll read you a couple of quotes because like it's just it's it's weird to hear so that's what I was gonna say is that it's not weird that he thinks this or that people in the twins front office think this and privately are saying, Yeah, I mean we're four games above five hundred and we just swept the Indians, but man, minus fifty five is really hard to ignore and I don't trust any of our pitchers not named Irvin or Jose. All right. I, I think that you could you could foresee that conversation happening. But for <laughs> for him to then take a megaphone 
and tell an MLB.com columnist with a national following that, yeah, hold on, pump the brakes on the Twins guy. That's really surprising to me. So here's what he said, and this was this was published last week. Um, he mentions that the Twins are contemplating buying, but like there's a there's a pretty critical caveat to this. Levine says, quote, the deeper you get into a season and you're in first place and you're vying for first place, you don't take that lightly. At the same time, when you enter the season with an objective view of the team and where you are in the winning cycle, you also try not to lose sight of that end quote. I think that's what's really intriguing is that they're talking about the winning cycle. They are thinking about the maturation of a team over multiple years. They're not saying, let's load up our soldiers and figure out how good our army is this year and see, is this postseason good or is this also ran mm-hmm. good? Are we buyers or sellers? He's saying – Let's start. Let's keep adding to this thing. This is a this is a multi-year process of building a team, and it's cool that we're in first place right now. We're not going to ignore that, but also, yeah, we might we might ignore well, that. Well, and here are two more reasons why it makes sense to sell high on Irvin Santana. I just keep the it just it makes so much You're more all sense. In as on we, this. I am I, right. as we talk through this, it makes even more sense. Uh, I should have I should have brought a pen and paper because now I'm going to forget exactly what the two reasons were, but. Um, <laughs> But but the the number one reason to me now too is to that that you only have a certain amount of you, you only have certain avenues that you can take to acquire top end starting yes. young starting pitching yes or it, you're not going to go out and get Zach Grinky every year in free agency or any year you just it's not realistic to say well we need starting pitching let's go pay thirty million dollars a year for whoever's out there and then hope that that guy doesn't need Tommy John surgery and or that that contract isn't going to cripple us in three or four years. It's just rarely is it a good idea to sign those players with any budget. Um, it's even more crippling if you sign one of those pitchers and you're a mid-market or small-market team. You can't really just overcome that contract. Right. So if if your other paths to acquiring top-end, younger starting pitching under team control, cheaper, able to fill out your roster more, trading or drafting or signing international free agents. And Irvin Santana is kind of an unexpected potential uh, conduit to, to land that. And we've talked yeah. about that throughout the offseason. Your stock price is high right now. But here's another reason that I don't think we've really brought up, but now that I think about this, it starts to make sense. People always wonder, well, you know, why did you draft a shortstop if you already have you know two shortstops in your system? It's not, it's not about – you don't acquire talent in the minor leagues – only thinking about the nine positions you have in the big leagues. You think of acquiring talent as potential chips to use in transactions later on down the winning cycle. Mm-hmm. So if if you had two choices, let's say the choices are Trader and Santana for two really nice pieces and in, the, in like a third peripheral piece, or hang on to him to win now. One of the benefits for getting those two key pieces would be that now you have more key pieces mm-hmm. to trade for the game-changing player at the deadline next year or the year after yep. to, to pull that Johnny Cueto move. Mm-hmm. You need that move more next year or the year after than you need it right now by hanging on to Irvin Santana. But if you have two Nick Gordons in your system and you have three Steven Gonsalves mm-hmm. and, you ha- and, and, and so on and so forth um, – you're able to go pull the trigger on that Garrett Cole deal, that Chris Archer deal later on down the road that could really help you get over the hump. Yeah, it's one of the main Ammunition. reasons. One of the main reasons of that ammo is one of the main reasons I argued for trading Brian Dozier this winter. And I think if you are 
thinking along the lines that Levine and uh, I presumably the rest of the Twins front office is thinking based on his comments to Feinsand, then I wonder why didn't you push harder for a Brian Dozier deal? But if you don't, if you didn't think you're going to be any good, why wasn't this the off season to make a move? Now maybe the market didn't materialize the way that outside observers like myself uh, would have expected. Maybe you know. If you're flirting with the Dodgers and you say, hey, could you put Cody Bellinger in that? And they laugh at you and say, Cody Bellinger is going to be better than Brian Dozier this year. We're not giving you six years of team control. Okay, how about Yadier Alvarez? Buddy, we're not in the same ballpark. We'll give you player X, uh, Jose DeLeon. And that's if that's not enough for you as the Twins, okay, I, I get all that. But my point was at the time, where you were on the winning curve meant – you needed to load up on these future assets that you're talking about. And if you could get two prospects, three prospects for a Brian Dozier who had two years left on his contract, then you do that because that's – I mean if you want to do the math on it, two years of Brian Dozier or 18 years of total control of these three young assets, one or two of which might pan out. Be, it, it was important to s- sort of stock the cupboards in my view. And they didn't do that. They went into the year with Brian Dozier. And now we're sort of circling around the same drain talking about that exact same thing we were talking about in December, in January, uh, back to November in the winter meetings. I think this summarizes it. It's the rest of what Levine told Feinsand. You're going to like this. He used a, a word that's a patented Phil Mackey. Culture? No, close. I just don't think we're going to go all in to try to win this year, Levine said. Continuing on, quote, we're going to try to put ourselves in the best position to win, but with an eye toward now and the future. We're not a mature team that has a window that's wide open or that's closing. We're trying to see how far we can push this season as we're cracking this window open, and we're going to treat it accordingly, end quote. He just talks about how they're they're not just one piece away, and I think that I agree with that. And I, I, I like the idea that... It's like the, the 2008 into 2009 Vikings. You've got a really good team. You don't have a quarterback. Figure something out there and you're in business. If you don't, it doesn't matter. Their window was closing. They had a bunch of aging veterans. You covered that team. You remember the guys that were littered around the field, the Antoine Winfields. This, it's a good team. I just I won't go down the list. They got Brett Favre and it was, whoa, Super Bowl time, right? Or should have been. The Twins are not that team. The Twins are not the team that says, boy, if we don't win the World Series by 2018, I don't see this thing working out. It's more like they're in that first year of, of, of climbing the mountain. They're the Oklahoma City Thunder when they just start putting the pieces together with Durant and Westbrook and Harden. They don't need to trade for um, the guy who will put them over the World Series hill. Because I don't think that they're that high on the mountain. But 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 all of that aside, I still wonder like what's the isn't there value in climbing the mountain a little bit this year? Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, and maybe the Twins play over the next three weeks will prove me wrong about that. But yeah, my my upshot is that I don't think I'd trade Irvin Santana this month unless you really knock me off my feet. And then you just got to figure out how to explain it to the clubhouse and to the fans. All I know is after this half hour of straight value, <laughs> this podcast is deep into the winning cycle. Deep. Uh, okay.